You're listening to The Holistic Perspective, a podcast about menstrual health, fertility awareness, and herbalism for women, all from a holistic perspective. I'm your host, Becky Evans, fertility awareness educator and clinical herbalist. I help women understand their natural hormonal patterns through fertility awareness so they can holistically manage their reproductive health and meet their family planning goals, whether they are trying to avoid pregnancy or trying to conceive. I hope you will join me as we dive deep into these topics. Today I'm talking with my friend Hannah. Hannah and I met years ago in a PCOS Facebook group around the time that we were both diagnosed with PCOS. We eventually collaborated to create and run a group called PCOS The Holistic Perspective, where we supported each other and other members through understanding underlying contributors to PCOS and natural management options. So today we got together to discuss what it's like to live with PCOS and chronic health issues and what it's like to manage that long term. We talk about where we've been and where we are now and how management of PCOS has changed over time. So hi, Hannah, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you for having me on here. So we first met, I believe it was 2014, because that's when I got my diagnosis um, with PCOS. And I think I had joined the original Facebook group that we met in while I was going through that, trying to figure out how it could be managed naturally and avoid birth control and metformin and all of that that I was originally offered. And since the doctors weren't able to offer anything else, I wanted to know what else I could do. And I think that that's really how we connected, um, connected over, you know, learning about the underlying issues and how to manage things naturally. Yeah. And I think we were, we were kind of drawn to each other in a way because we came at the group with the same kind of like goal. Um, same kind of like, I think we got diagnosed pretty similar times, except you came out at, at a totally different perspective, a different angle than I did. You were very like scientific about it, like doing all your research, like this is what I'm going to do. So what I'm figuring out is the optimal things to do. And I was on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to try every freaking thing I can find and just use myself as a human guinea pig and whatever works works. And we just kind of compared notes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that worked well. I really loved that collaboration. And um, I think I had a little bit of like an analysis paralysis trying to decide which direction to go with it. And I think you were kind of that inspiration to just try things no matter what might actually happen. Um, I know there were a lot of different perspectives we took on it. Like there was the um, trying iodine for a while, which for me turned out to be a bad idea. (laughs) And (laughs) um, yeah, so many different uh, modes of managing it, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones besides iodine, but. um, I mean, all the herbs, I don't know which ones you took, but I took them all. You know, it's funny because I don't think I really tried many herbs at first. I mostly was trying like um, vitamins and minerals at first. And it wasn't until a few, within the last few years that I really decided to try them. And I I think part of it was being afraid of phytoestrogens. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that kind of came into the picture when we got into the whole like, um, 
what what was that called like the estrogen dominance and when we started talking about progestel and mm-hmm. um dr eckhart's work mm-hmm. um and i just uh was kind of paralyzed <laughs> to even try any herbs because i was afraid of the um side effects that could be experienced which wasn't necessarily a bad thing because some of the herbs i have tried i have kind of um had some estrogen related symptoms from but yeah i just definitely not a bad thing i feel like you had a lot um more to lose than i did at that point like you weren't trying to conceive you know your symptoms weren't like absolutely unmanageable you could kind of take your time Mm -hmm. and figure out works what works best for you like over time um, I'm a very impatient person. I was trying to conceive uh, towards the end there. And I was just like, yeah. bam, 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 let's try everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people come at it from that direction um, with wanting to try to conceive and trying to just find that thing that will work and get their hormones back in balance and um, get their cycles regulated so that they can get to that point of where it's even a possibility. Um, so what, what were things like for you cycle-wise at that point? Like, were you having regular cycles and trying to manage that or just managing the symptoms? Um, both. I was not having regular cycles. Um, at that point in time, my body pretty much from the time, uh, when I started puberty, I got like a year of normal cycles. And then from then on I had abnormal cycles. I, um, had like, I would have like a month of nothing and then like three months of a light bleed and then repeat that over and over. So I was throughout my life pretty much always bleeding. And so I was just trying to figure out why that was and all the information I had on it was basically um, for women who were just bleeding out, which was not what I had at spotting and trying to figure out why that was. Um, So it was very obvious to me when my cycles did change because I wasn't bleeding anymore. (laughs) It was like very obvious just based on my symptoms and have to like, I didn't have to chart that. (laughs) So that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I vaguely remember that now. And um, because you started taking the progesterone, right? The progestel. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to make the difference for you at that point. Well, I actually started on a different progesterone, like a, just an Amazon brand that I found that had mm. natural ingredients and, um, it did not have the same impact that progesterol did. Um, like the first couple months, it made me, um, have a regular period, which I kind of, I feel like is comparable to like a pill bleed with uh, birth control. Mm. I don't know for sure that I was ovulating on it. And then slowly my, um, slowly it stopped giving me that bleed and it also gave me um, other side effects like weight gain. Uh, So I stopped using like the just Amazon progesterone after four or five months, I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Progesterone is another one I've been afraid to try. (laughs) Do you still use that or is that something you've kind of come away from? Like where, where are you now? I, I consistently like, I, I swear you could weigh me by the ounce I consistently gained five pounds a month on progesterone, no matter what. <laughs> so it's not something I, that is sustainable for me. Um, I use it most when, when I was pregnant in my first trimester, because I, I did feel I needed it because I was bleeding um, before I started it. Um, but since then I've used it off and on as a trial basis. Um, but 
when I'm like bleeding regularly, I don't feel a need to use it right now, even if I'm not ovulating, because I don't think it actually triggers ovulation for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and um, I know you've mentioned that you chart your cycle, but is that something that you do on a regular basis? Is that something that you've used throughout that time to help with that or? Yeah, my main, um, the main time that I religiously charted my cycle is when I was trying to conceive and I would do temperatures and things like that. I had the mercury thermometer and vaginal temps because I was like, I'm just accurate if I'm going to have to do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now, but then I, after I had my baby, uh, my cycles basically disappeared. And so I didn't chart after that. And then just recently in the last year, they have come back. And so I actually took your advice and bought the temp drop, which I absolutely love um, because my kid wakes up with nightmares very often mm. and I can't just like stop and um, <laughs> take my temperature real quick while he's screaming in his room at 2 a.m. So yeah. it's been, it's been wonderful for me. I've only used it for a cycle, but oh, I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that can make a huge difference in situations like that. Um, and I love that you mentioned the, the mercury thermometer with the vaginal temping, because, um, you know, that really can be one of the most accurate ways to do it. I don't think a lot of people like to do it that way. I've never tried it that way. <laughs> um, but I it is supposed to be one of the best ways. Love it. It's very uncomfortable for me to keep a thermometer in my mouth for like three minutes. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> I'll try not to be graphic, but I just like stick it in there and basically <laughs> fall back to sleep for a second. And then yeah. it's done like no big deal for me. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I was actually just thinking about trying it to compare it to my oral temperatures. Um, but I also fall asleep almost every morning with my thermometer in my mouth. So yeah. that could make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that we had talked about was how how our perspectives kind of change over time on how to manage these things. Well, personally, I have tended to be a little strict with myself and um, strict to some extent with other people and um, how things should be managed. Um, and it's just been kind of a journey in trying to figure out what is actually sustainable. And so I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Yep. <laughs> It doesn't matter if you know the absolute best thing in the world, you know exactly um, what your body loves in terms of supplements, you know exactly what your body loves in terms of movement and the foods that make you feel your best. does not matter if you are not able to execute that. All the information in the world cannot help you if, um, you know, if the ideal is just not achievable for you in that season of life. So um for me, like just learning priorities and learning, you know, what, what actually serves me in that season has been the most um, beneficial thing. And just like letting go and giving myself grace on the things that I know, you know, my body might like, but I just can't support like mentally because like people just kind of disregard the mental health aspect of um, trying to conceive and um, dealing with PCOS and things like that. Um, and just the, all the different factors that go into that. I mean, you can be depressed for a week and not sleep and it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you keep your same routine of exercise and whatever, your mental health is going to be shot that week because you're not sleeping, you know? Um, yeah. So just like basically going with the flow 
And I mean, it is so important to have that head knowledge of um, what your body does like and figuring out your body is very important. But at the same time, just um, prioritizing mental health for me has been has been crucial. Yeah, yeah, I can totally relate to that because um, I had to acknowledge at some point that everything I was trying to do was um, just not sustainable. It wasn't something I could do every single day and just taking time for myself and recognizing the things in my life that were causing more stress and kind of prioritizing what needed to be focused on first so that my mental health and, and sleep, you know, could be improved. Um, sleep is a big one, especially, and, you know, not sleeping is so bad for your body and for your hormones that it, that doesn't help anything if you're right. um, not taking care of that and not managing your stress. So I know that's definitely been a huge thing for me too. And it's taken a lot of work to get there. Um, and then of course there's dealing with other people, there's family members that come into the picture and um, not everybody necessarily understands um what it takes to manage chronic health like that and yep. manage your mental health while you're dealing with that. Is that something that you've dealt with? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, my husband has been, um, you know, with me throughout this. I, I got diagnosed actually because we got married and, um, I realized it wasn't cool to be bleeding for three months while you're married. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I decided to go ahead and, um, do something about it at that point, got diagnosis. Um, but it's, it's been rough for him. Um, I think just being a man and also being, um, actually pretty physically well for this, um, generation, he's like one of the most healthy, well people. <laughs> and, um, try just having to lay it out for him. And there's been some things he d- doesn't understand, doesn't grasp. And, Um, it's been important for me to work through like boundaries on that, you know, like, I know you don't understand this, but, um, these are my needs. Um, and I'm going to do these things to meet my needs and, um, you can kind of come along for the ride and I will do my best to not bite your head off, you know, when I'm having (laughs) depression or whatever. Um, but just, that's what's going on with me. And he's like, he's slowly gotten better about just accepting it. And, um, you know, understanding a little bit more, I think, because I've been so consistent about being like, this is the way it is, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's really common. Um, I know I've seen articles about how to talk to your husband about PCOS and um, how they can help you and support you through that. But yeah, you know, my experience has been pretty similar to that. Um, just you know, figuring out how to communicate those needs and, um, you know, having my husband not really understand it because he's the same way. He's fairly healthy. And um, I think it has taken him a while to really understand. um, And he needed to kind of see how things affect me to really get it. But there are still a lot of days where he just doesn't understand. And it, it can be really difficult to deal with that. But um, yeah, I I just think that's really common. Um, I know I've heard that from other people that um, it can be really hard to communicate, even, you know, even for people who aren't married, communicating that with their their family members, um, siblings, and 
um, especially sisters who don't necessarily have the same problems and just don't really understand what you're going through. Yeah. And, and I think that's also one reason that like education, knowing your body and knowing terms and having even like a chart sometimes is so helpful because it, it allows you to be like, okay, this is real. You know, I'm writing this down, I'm seeing this and it makes you able to communicate it better than just like, oh, my body hurts. You can say specifically like, I have this pain, <laughs> you know? And yeah. it, it, it is empowering even in that way and how you relate to people um, who, you know, are close to you. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I, I've definitely used my chart to explain things sometimes when I have something that's very clearly off. I'm like, here, look, it's not all in my head. It's right there on the paper. Yeah. I, um, I brought my chart to my first midwife appointment um, when I got pregnant. I was like, I know exactly the day I got pregnant, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's not a bad idea. I've always been a little bit afraid of um talking with medical professionals about my charts because they tend to kind of poo-poo that you know yeah. <laughs> um but I guess a midwife might be a little bit different but um yeah I know um conception dates can be one of those things with charts where you you know when it actually was yeah. but the doctor just wants to know your last period date yes. Um, it, you know, it it's be, funny because okay. it, it's stupid and nostalgic, but like I, because of my chart, I know the encounter that caused my child to come about. And that's somehow <laughs> special to me. Like I have a memory of like the exact time that, you know, that it happened and that's, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of charting. There's something special about that. Um, being able to track all of that. Um, I think one of the things that had stood out to me, just, I kind of had to laugh a little bit. You said you should not be making choices about your fertility care based on pressure from your doctor, society, or your cousin who sells essential oils. I yeah. like that bit about the essential oils. Um, there is a certain brand of essential oils that really pushes their, um, progesterone oil yes. with absolutely no, um, guidance on how to use progesterone <laughs> and it is yeah. my biggest pet peeve <laughs> yeah I I've been seeing that a lot lately and I I tend to warn people I'm like I don't know if you should use that without some guidance but right. <laughs> well um, it's like you can't have it both ways either either it works and it's risky to use without guidance or it doesn't work and you can use it whenever you want you can't have it both ways <laughs> yeah yeah that's true um, and I feel like, uh, I don't know about your opinion on this, but essential oils in general, I'm not a big fan of just because people tend to latch on to this idea, oh, it's natural, so it's safe. And I think this can be said about really any kind of natural supplements or anything that people take. Um, just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's safe. And with essential oils, um, Personally, I don't like them because of the huge amount of plant material that needs to go into making them. Um, I think there are more sustainable ways to um, be able to use those plants. Um, but so many people latch on to essential oils as, you know, this magic medicine that can fix everything. And <laughs> Right. And funny enough, you know, I talked about how I just went willy nilly at all the um, mm -hmm 
the different things when I first got a diagnosis, but essential oils is one thing I never dabbled in, partly mm-hmm. because it's so expensive. Um, yeah. And partly because I just, it looked like a, a bunch of hooey to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, um, it, and I think essential oils really get a bad rap because of the method of distribution. Like it's just the, the two main companies that do essential oils are uh, multi-level marketing. And um, because of that, it just gets pushed uh, for sales when it doesn't need to be. And um, I, I really, I really, I really think there are some uses for essential oils. I keep, Mm about five bottles in my house um I keep orange um for like diffusing because I don't want to diffuse anything that someone might have an allergic reaction to um so I like say like stay real simple with that um but but yes for fertility and for you know actually changing your hormones and um changing the way your your body reacts to you know toxins and things like that no I I don't I never dabbled in that I have no desire to do that (laughs) yeah um so one of the things that we had talked about um was iodine and you tried that for a while um how did you come to that and what was your experience with it and where do you stand with that now Oh man, I actually don't remember how I came to that. I don't remember who got into that first. Do you know if you or I did? Because I know you. I think you did, but I don't remember. I know I had seen about it in several other groups. Yeah. And I I bought um, Dr. Brownstein's book. I think it was. Me too. Um, But I think I had read it after you. I don't remember how we got started on that. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, it made sense to me because my mom has thyroid issues and um, just some of my symptoms were so atypical of PCOS. And I mean, I had, quote, skinny PCOS and mm. my bleeding was very unusual. And so I was just convinced I was a unicorn PCOS girl who had this, um, you know, weird cause and I was just going to find it. And iodine just seemed like a good option for me. So I did use it. I think I used it for about a year. And, um, I mean, it, it didn't have that many, um, side of the negative side effects from it. Um, as long as I like drink enough water and things, but that was just one, like we talked about things that are unsustainable for me, that was unsustainable. Uh, I just had to, I could not keep up my water enough to keep up with it. And the amount of, you know, accompanying minerals and pills and things, um, it, it was, it served me in that time of life, but, um, I don't see myself going back to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I tried iodine for a little bit. I did the whole urine testing thing and found that I did need it. And I had, um, I also did the, I think it was the fluoride and the bromide or whichever tests that you can order with it. Yeah. Um, since those things can, um, connect to the iodine receptors and cause deficiencies. So, um, so I found that one of those was high. I think it was bromide that was high. And so I decided to try the iodine. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was such a bad idea, but I didn't really do it right. I didn't really do, I had been taking magnesium for a while. So it's like, okay, I'm fine there. I was taking some of the other 
you know, what do they call those? The um, cofactors. Cofactors, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the cofactors. So there's several of them, like the magnesium, the selenium. I don't even remember what all. Um, so some B- of those I had already been taking. B6, maybe, I don't know. Something. B6. Yeah, I can't remember all of them, but I had been taking most of them for a while already. So I was like, I can do this. I'm fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I started out low and then I ramped up really quickly over like two days. Oh no. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then I got a UTI, which I was getting pretty regularly at that point in time. And I was like Googling for alternative options. So I didn't have to go to the doctor and get antibiotics again. And I found that iodine could treat it and some people will treat it with high doses of iodine. So I, so like two days into my taking iodine, I decided to take hundred milligrams two days in a row. (laughs) I was like, yes, I can knock out my UTI and get my iodine in at the same time. But the thing is a lot of people do that. They take those really high doses and they're like, oh, I feel so much better. I have so much energy. And I was just like, I can do this. Right. Um, I had so much pain in my ovaries and my lymph nodes under my uh-huh. arms and it lasted for a while. Um, I still, every once in a while, will have a pain that feels like that. And it kind of makes me think that, you know, maybe my body did need it. Obviously I did it the wrong way, but it kind of scared me away from trying it at all. Yeah. So I stopped then and I've never really picked it up again. Um, every once in a while I might put like a small drop in my water or something um, just because I have the bottles and I don't waste them (laughs) but um, that was my experience with iodine (laughs) I'll I'll actually every now and then drop a few drops in like my salt container because I get non-iodized salt I get like pink salt I'm like Mm -hmm. Just to make sure I'm not like killing my family (laughs) with lack of iodine but yeah, I, I, um, I got the same symptom of like, um, swollen nodes in my armpits. Mm. And actually you were the one who helped me with that. Um, I was having some kind of side effects. I think it was that, and you were like, you need to add potassium in there mm. and like instantly got better after I did that. And I was like, thank you, Becky. You were an angel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think that was around the time that I discovered potassium. Um, yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my experience, and um, now I'm very cautious of it. I think iodine is important, but um, I think it's one of those things that can cause a lot of problems if you don't do it the right way, and I think too many people tend to jump into it too quickly, Um, and you had mentioned the potassium, and I think that electrolytes are probably a big part of that, and um, yeah. That was not something I had really focused on at that point. It was something that kind of came up more later on for me. Yeah, I definitely gave iodine the good old college try. Um, I I used it for almost a year, I think. And I built my way up to, I think, 100 milligrams. And once I'd been on that for a few weeks, I was like, okay, I'm just admitting defeat here. My symptoms have not changed like Mm -hmm. one millimeter. (laughs) This is, this is not, um, going to be helping me. So at that point I was just like, this isn't sustainable if it's not, if I'm not seeing like improvements with it. So I just stopped doing it after that. Yeah. And the, the book, what is it called? Iodine, why you need it by Dr. Brownstein was how I read more about it. And one of the things that bothers me about his book 
is just that he doesn't really talk about any of the downsides of it and mm. any possible side effects or um, any of that. And I think that it's a little bit, um, I don't know if deceptive is the right word because I don't know if it's intentional, but um, I think it paints a different picture than what could be reality for some people. Um, and I, I find that a lot with natural health things. It's like, oh, this is great. This is the fix for everything. And you should do this. Well, I, I find that um, like the two worlds we live in, the scientific pharmaceutical world and the natural remedy world operate on two different bases. Um, the scientific world operates, of course, on like studies that are funded by who knows who and, you know, lab results and things like that. And the natural remedy world is like, well, we're not doing that, you know, corrupt stuff. We're going to go by personal experience. And that's great for mm -hmm. that person. <laughs> yeah. But um, there is such a vast array of personal experience in this world. And, um, you know, you find something that absolutely your body is just like, this is it, man. You do not ever stop doing this to me. And um, you'd be like, okay, this is it, guys. I've got the cure for everything for you right here. <laughs> and because, you know, people just thrive on personal experience and like, if it makes you feel good to, you know, to feel good and that's fine. But like, it took me so many years to realize that simple concept that just because something worked for one person and it worked so well for them has nothing to do with my body and mm -hmm. you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, that's true. You know, and I think that's not really talked about enough. I think I tend to be a little bit too far on the cautious side, especially when I'm talking to other people that um, might be interested in trying something. I'm like, oh, well, here are all, here are all the reasons that it might not work for you. <laughs> and I'm sure that's really discouraging. And it's partially like um, not knowing how to communicate um, yeah. things that I think are important that should be known about that are not as well known, like the issues with iodine. Like how do you communicate potential mm -hmm. downsides of something with somebody without stepping on toes, but I just have a hard time like making the point that what works for somebody else might not work for you. Um, yeah, it, it is, it is such a, like a fine line to walk because you don't want to crush that like initial, like enthusiasm yeah, yeah. when you get a diagnosis and you're like, Oh, I could try this stuff. You mm -hmm. know, they come in there and they're like gung ho, like, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun. And it is fun. And you meet friends and you commiserate together and it's fun. <laughs> but at the same time, like you said, there are some things that could actually physically hurt you. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's so hard to like figure out how to gently guide yeah. <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not always good at that. I'm, um, analytical. I think what you said at the beginning about being scientific oh. and all of that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's who I am. And, um, you know, I have like social anxiety and all kinds of like stuff that goes with that. So I think that probably does not help the situation. Um, but yeah, I, I so appreciated having you though. Like I, I knew I could trust you. Like you were never going to BS me when it came to what yeah. you thought. I could ask you anything and you were going to tell me straight up, well, this is what I know. <laughs> and just, I love, I loved um, being around you in that season where I was just like collecting information. Um, mm -hmm. Just you really, really helped me in that time. 
Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. And um, I feel like you were probably the voice of reason or the, <laughs> like <laughs> the cushion <laughs> with everybody else. And you kind of really carried the group for a long time. Um, you know, once my life kind of shifted away from um, managing the group and managing my PCOS, um, you really took over there. And I think people really appreciated the videos and stuff that you were doing, which kind of brings me to the next topic um, that I wanted to talk about is weight, because mm-hmm. I know this is something that we've both dealt with. And I know, of course, yeah. with PCOS, this is so common. Um, I was very much lean when I was diagnosed. And of course, even at the time, the doctors were like, oh, just lose a little bit of weight and your your symptoms will be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and it's funny to think back now because now I'm like 70, 60 to 70 pounds more than I was then. Right. Um, because once I um uh I moved and I changed jobs. And so there was a lot of um not just stressors, but major life changes. And for me right. at that time, um, I wasn't able to focus on my health the way I needed to. And on top of that, I was working a desk job where before I had been working on my feet for years. Um, and I rapidly gained weight. It was probably 15 to 20 pounds a year for the first like four years of working in, in that new job that I took. Um, and it's been something that's been difficult for me to manage with, um, working a desk job and I've been working from home for almost five years now. So I don't really get out much and just finding ways to manage that has been really difficult. And of course it takes a toll on you emotionally and um, that kind of ties in with the mental health issues and just like trying to come to terms with, well, I have PCOS. It's not really my fault. And it, it, it would take a lot of work to get me back to a healthy weight or, you know, quote, a healthy weight, <laughs> because it depends on who you ask what is considered to be healthy when it comes to weight gain and being overweight. Right. But um, for me personally, I know that I felt healthier overall when I was um, thinner. I noticed um in particular with gaining weight that my insulin resistance got worse where before it was barely noticeable it's it's very clearly an issue now and for me I think that's one of the major reasons why I would want to lose weight um and I'm still kind of in um kind of the stage of life where I feel like I either have to come to terms that this is just my weight now (laughs) Or I have to make major changes to at least stop it from getting worse. Yeah, we, you and I are, are similar in that way where when we met, we were both considered like skinny PCOS. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually had pretty similar timelines, I feel like, of the weight gain and, and actually like how much we gained also. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, I, it really made me feel some sympathy for women who um, start out at their diagnosis at a higher weight, because I know just how much guilt is attached to that and that I didn't feel as a skinny little thing. 
Um, I have felt, I didn't feel like, um, I had my symptoms cause I was fat because I wasn't fat. <laughs> yeah. So I had a lot more freedom in my diagnosis. I wasn't told that by my doctor that I need to get, lose a few pounds. Um, thankfully, because I didn't, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but, but I know that's like the main thing that, um, larger women here. And that's so unfortunate that that's just the, the method that they use, um, because, and I feel like it's almost a crutch because they don't know what else to do. They're just like, well, let me give you this thing that's gonna possibly take you years to even reach what I'm suggesting. Mm-hmm. And by that time, I probably won't even be your doctor anymore and I will have no consequences for the fact that it didn't actually change your symptoms. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're even able to get there. Yeah, that's so true. I've been thinking about that a lot. Women who, have maybe been overweight their whole lives. And I do kind of wonder like what the difference is. Of course, I go back to the whole scientific thing. Like (laughs) what are the underlying factors for somebody who has been overweight their whole life compared to somebody who is lean and then their weight gets out of control because of um, PCOS or the chronic health issues. And it kind of makes me wonder maybe for somebody who has been overweight their whole life, maybe that losing the weight is going to be less helpful than for somebody who um, tends towards being thin or has been thin most of their life. And then because of whatever factors have gained that weight. It's one of those things that I kind of um, think over just for my own sake, because it's like, should I actually try to do anything about it? is it actually going to make a difference for me? I know a lot of people say, well, I didn't actually feel any better when I lost weight. The PCOS is still there. Um, And, you know, that's another thing, you know, PCOS is a lifetime thing. I know people say it's reversible, but technically it's always there. It's just that the lifestyle factors that can manage it can be managed, but it's something that has to be done for a lifetime. Right. It is is also very rare to see someone say that they have reversed their PCOS Mm -hmm. and they're not actively trying to sell you something. Just FYI. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's really true. (laughs) Like, um, what is the pink drink? The, uh, Uh, Plexus. Yes. Plexus that, oh my gosh. I feel like for years we were dealing with people coming into the group, trying to sell Plexus. Yep. (laughs) because it's a miracle cure for PCOS, but it's just because it has chromium and what's the other ingredient? There's two things in it that are known to be good for PCOS, but you don't have to buy Plexus to get those. (laughs) Would you actually believe that I tried Plexus last year? Did you? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) You probably wouldn't think it knowing me, but I had a certain situation happen in my life um, that made me go, why not? And, um, I did have a change. I gained 20 pounds in two months. Oh oh my gosh. (laughs) After being pretty stable in my weight, uh, before that. So, um, so yeah, if you ever have questions about Plexus, ask me. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because it is something that has kind of crossed my mind. I'm like, I know people say that this works. And maybe it's just high quality. And so maybe I should try it. But <laughs> that makes me think maybe not. <laughs> I mean, I, I really don't want to get into Plexus, but um, yeah. there are there are upsides and downsides to everything. And yeah. you, know what, well, you know what that did for me? It got me out of kind of a rut I have been in of like, 
I don't care. I'm not doing anything right now. Um, my body is the way it is. And, and sometimes things like that, things that actually hurt you <laughs> end up being good in the long run because of the mental aspect of mm-hmm. like, it, it got me into like, you know, trying things again. And I actually picked up a few other things beyond that, that I'm like, okay, this is actually something that's sustainable for me and not expensive and, you know, actually improving my health. And so sometimes, you know, just getting out of a rut you're in or just a depression or whatever can be so beneficial, no matter if it's actually making you gain 20 pounds in two months. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's, I like that because I know that I've, I've been there too. And, um, maybe not necessarily dealing with like negative side effects like weight gain but um just finding something to kind of help get out of that rut of giving up and finding finding something to hang on to that um could potentially help things and even if it doesn't necessarily help there have been a lot of things that I said I would never try (laughs) Mm. um based on my research that I you know ended up trying one of those things was Vitex I don't know if you've seen any of my posts about that lately, but so um, two cycles ago, I decided to, um, well, I was working with a dietitian and I decided to um, start taking inositol or I don't know how, I don't know how you say that. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Um, So I decided to take that and there are some really expensive ones out there, but I, that are, you know, well-known in the PCOS community, I think, but I just kind of bought a cheap one on Amazon to try. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize when I bought it, that it also had herbs in it. It had, um, Vitex was one of them. And it was such a low dose that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try this anyway, even though I know that Vitex is not necessarily good for PCOS and it can, um, you know, it kind of only works for people if they meet a specific profile for it. Right. And I decided to take it anyway. I took it for about 10 days, at which point um, I was like maybe 18 days into my cycle. And at that point, I'm usually about to ovulate. And I'm like, well, something is off here because it doesn't seem like I'm about to ovulate. So I stopped taking it. My cycle ended up being 78 days when I'm normally having... I average like 33 days and I might have a 40 day cycle, 40 some day cycle once or twice a year. And so I was like, well, this is either the Vitex not being a good fit for me, or it's the, um, you know, my one-off cycle that I have every once in a while, but I haven't had a cycle that long in, in years. And I was just like, uh, it has to be the Vitex. And then I regret that choice, but, um, I do feel like I need to be on something for my insulin resistance. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that was kind of a, a kick in the butt that I was like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't just go trying random things. <laughs> maybe I should listen to my instincts, but. Well, I mean, you learn something from, you learn something from every failure. I feel yeah. like as long as it doesn't like long-term, like disable you, um, it's a, you learn something about yourself. You learn something about the world around you. It's not, it's not, it's just growth. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like a little bit of a setback, but you know, <laughs> yeah. just because, um, 
you know, you work so hard to get your cycles to regulate. And I, th- I mean, I guess this depends on the person with PCOS because some people just have long cycles all the time. Some people will have, you know, fairly regular cycles, but like me have that one or two that can be off. Um, but that's one of the things that I like about charting because then you can kind of see what's going on. And the only reason I knew that was off for me was because of my charts and, um, and having all of that information from years of charting. When I was first diagnosed, um, my cycles were a lot more irregular and I feel like whatever I've been doing over the years has been helping, (laughs) even if I don't know exactly what it is. Wonderful. One of those frustrating things. Yeah. Um, so something random that I've been throwing at my PCOS has been working. <laughs> I, I definitely um, understand the urge to do something about the insulin resistance. I, I didn't have it when I was first diagnosed. Um, I got mm-hmm. tested for it. And I do have it now, uh, the weight gain, just like you do. And it's, um, it's, it's probably, to me, the most scary part of it for me just because it's the most like unknown besides just the weight gain in general and the entire mental shift you have to have um you know going from living your life as a thin woman to living your life as a larger woman Mm -hmm. um and (laughs) um I I haven't like I haven't been working on it long enough to see you know if I can improve it yet just because um I, I'm like just now entering a season of life where I have um, mental energy and time and adequate sleep to actually do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's probably it, like you, it's just like on the forefront of my mind right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be hard to find something that works with your body that actually helps. Um, you know, there are so many things that you can take that can help with it, but, and I've tried some of them, but it seems like some of them don't help or like some will have another side effect like berberine is a really popular supplement for that and for me it just caused digestive issues and that was really (laughs) unhelpful yeah that's something that I don't think is talked about enough um in the natural community is just side effects of natural supplements and Mm what you can handle, what you can't, because, um, I've always had side effect problems. It's like the main reason I can't take you know, vitamin D. I can't take, um, Vitex. I can't take berberine. You know, there's all yeah. these things that just immediately cause side effects for me. And, um, I, I see most often the people most often telling people to ignore their side effects and just push through mm-hmm. are the ones who are selling them the supplement yeah. that causing the side effects. And I think it's so important to have people, you know, with outside perspective, um, to be able to come alongside you and just be like, this is not sustainable for you. Yeah. (laughs) My, my most common side effect is insomnia. And I have even had supplements. I tried zeolite, um, last year and it made a huge difference in my energy level. I was like immediately so energized, Mm. but my insomnia was killing me. And I just knew, you know, I, I couldn't sustain that. Um, and it's really hard. It's easy to choose supplements, like choose between this doesn't work for me and this does, but when you have to choose between something that works for you, that is killing you, 
yeah. you know, that is the hard call to make. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while and some really manic episodes where I was just having like dark nights um, and severe depression to be like, this is not worth it. This is not worth being able to get up and do dishes immediately in the morning. It's just not worth it. Mm. Yeah, that's really hard. Yeah, and I I don't think that's uncommon. I feel like maybe people just aren't aware of the side effects that can be experienced with supplements. And even with, um, you know, your basic vitamins, those can cause side effects because they may throw other vitamins and minerals out of balance. Or even just, you know, some people could have a reaction to them and it could depend on the type that it is. Um, but yeah. I, I would love to talk about, um, you know, women who are overweight and talk about the, the kind of guilt involved and um, blaming self-blame. Um, so <laughs> I've kind of changed which over I'm from the PCOS kind of world, I feel like it served me at that time. And then I got pregnant and caught up in ch- child stuff and um, thyroid stuff. Um, because when I became pregnant, I developed Hashimoto's pretty severely. Mm-hmm. And um, um, just like how that changed my whole health and how things that worked for my PCOS before just stopped working for me immediately. And I was, it was very difficult because I had, I had so much pride built up and like, I finally figured out what works for me. And then it's just gone in two months. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was just like devastating for me. Um, but so I'm, I'm like shifted more as my interests have shifted into more of, um, you know, like just learning how to live in a, in a fat body with health problems, because, um, so often you'll see like in body positivity on Instagram, there'll be people saying, um, yeah, I'm fat, but I'm healthy, you know? And mm-hmm. I think there is such a stigma with bad health and I hate it because bad health is not, you know, someone's fault or a moral, um, moral problem inside them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to be fat and it's okay to be unhealthy. Um, and it's not, it's not something that you should feel guilt for. Um, and I say that because guilt is the worst motivator for anything in the world. You will, if, if losing weight or if um, improving your insulin resistance or whatever is your goal, guilt will not get you there. I'm telling you right now, because I went through it when I, when I gained my weight, um, when my PCOS, you know, kind of morphed into overweight PCOS. Um, I did everything I could do. I did keto, I did paleo. And um, just like with, we talked about um, supplements causing side effects, those diets cause side effects in me. And it was mm-hmm. not sustainable for me. And um, <clears throat> so I kind of shifted more into like, okay, so if I'm going to be fat, how can I, you know, live my life peacefully? And um, actually that coming to terms with myself and finally getting through the, you know, internalized guilt I had over my changing body, um, has now got me to a place where I feel comfortable, like working on those things that we talked about, like working on my insulin resistance, um, adding exercise in, um, that doesn't cause me side effects. I'm finally like figuring out how to do that. 
Um, and I feel a lot more free this time because I've, you know, I don't hate myself at the weight I am and the improvements I make are just for me. They're not so I can be less of a bad person or so I can make my husband happier. They're just for me and, um, improving my quality of life. And it's been such a more gentle process this time to make those changes that, um, that will actually help me. Yeah. I like that. That's not something I've really thought about, um, the guilt aspect of it, because I know that I feel like that a lot. I just never thought of it as a guilt because it's like, what can I, what should I be doing to change this? Because obviously I did something that got me here. And then there's guilt over what got me here and guilt over, um, you know, not maybe not doing anything about it. Um, and I saw a post on Instagram recently where it had on one side, it said body positivity and the other, it said, um, body neutrality, where maybe rather than feeling like you need to be positive, um, about your, your weight and about your body, the things that you don't like, maybe you just need to come to a place of acceptance with that. Um, and that kind of struck me, um, really similar to what you're saying, just that, um, you know, you kind of have to come to a point where you're okay with it, even if you aren't doing anything about it. Um, it's not something that you should feel guilt over. Right. I don't like that. That's, I've never really thought about it like that. I, I love the concept of body neutrality. Um, especially like as a Christian woman, you know, the body positivity movement rubs me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it feels, um, it feels like it feels like the right end with the wrong method to me, yeah. and um, so I love body neutrality because it's not it's my life does not need to revolve around my physical body, mm-hmm. um, and it you know it my body serves me it keeps me alive I am able to talk to you today sitting on the bathroom floor because my body is here and present and. Um, I, I just, it, it's so much more fluid than living your life based on guilt. Um, because when you do that, you know, you go hardcore into a diet one week and then the next week you feel horrible and you're eating, you know, everything you could possibly eat. And body neutrality is so much more fluid than that. You know, like I wake up today, what serves me today? Well, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like a little sluggish. Let me have a salad. That'll probably make me feel better. Um, you know, oh, well, I have a crazy busy day and, and I just need to go grab Chick-fil-A today. That's okay. And, and you just, it's so much more of a steady ride than this like up and down um, that you get with diets and then binging and then diet and then binging that um, really just wrecks your body over time. Yeah. So that you kind of mentioned that like intuitive eating, is that kind of what you're referring to with that? Yes. Um, I have been practicing intuitive eating for almost two years now, uh, I think year and a half. And, um, it is probably the longest I've ever stayed with one way of eating, (laughs) um, in my life (laughs) (laughs) because I start out intuitive eater. I, um, you know, as a teenager and young adult, I was thin pretty effortlessly. Um, I actually was very prideful of the fact that I had never dieted before. (laughs) 
And um, so that was well, way more natural for me to jump into because it was like, I'm remembering this is the way I used to be. This is the way my mind used to work. I'm hungry, I eat. You know, this this sounds good, I eat it. Popcorn makes hurts my stomach, so I don't eat it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. intuitive. Um, so I feel like I, I grasp it a lot faster than someone who had dieted their whole life and just like really has to work through those, um, those issues in their head of the guilt and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, um, I've learned so much about myself through intuitive eating. I, I, um, in a way I could like align it with, um, learning your fertility because you do learn so much more about your body based on um, giving it the freedom to speak to you and not just keeping it in certain parameters. Like this is what you have to do today. This is what you have to eat today. And this is it. Um, and it's, it's given me a lot more freedom to realize, <laughs> um, you know, eating sometimes can be a care task. And some days you can't get to that perfect care task, but other days you can. And um it's, it's, it's been life-changing for me, honestly. Um, uh, and I wish I would have known when I was younger that that's what I was doing. I was eating intuitively. It would have been way more empowering for me mm. <laughs> than just, I don't diet. <laughs> yeah. So I've thought a lot about intuitive eating and I've even recommended it to clients who I thought it could really help. Mm. Um, but I don't know that I know how to personally practice that that Mm. sounds kind of silly to say because it's supposed to be intuitive right but I get cravings so badly sometimes that it's incredibly hard to ignore and that's one of those things that I just don't know how to manage and um, of course that brings in some of the guilt aspect and well if I just eat this then that's intuitive right but maybe I won't feel good afterwards and um, yeah, you know, I don't know if I know how to manage that. Yeah. And I, and I think there is a huge missing section of the intuitive eating landscape about insulin resistance and about how it relates to health, because yeah. you can't, I can't go about it the same way that someone without PCOS, without Hashimoto's can. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish there was more on it. I, the people I see who are, um, expressing knowledge on that are usually um, dietitians who you know nutritionists who do um have clients and things like that so it's kind of like paid information unfortunately um and I hope as intuitive eating grows like more of that is addressed so I've had to kind of like you know me (laughs) figure it out on my own (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like there is there's just like such a spectrum of cravings you know there's there's cravings because there's a food you see and you can smell it and you haven't had mm-hmm. it in some years and it sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. There's cravings because your husband did, you had a fight and you just want to do something for yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's cravings because you're on your period. Like there's so many different yeah. things going on, hormone fluctuations and just navigating, well, this is how I deal with these in this instance. This is how I deal with these in this instance. And if I don't get these perfectly, I still forgive myself and I still just move on with my life. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And I never really, um, I guess, thought about how insulin resistance could possibly make intuitive eating different for somebody. Of course, it makes sense that I would have those cravings because of uh, insulin resistance, but. 
it, it is, it is difficult because in a way you have to doubt your body in a, in a sphere that you're supposed to like absolutely trust your body with intuitive eating. <laughs> yeah. So it, it definitely makes it more complicated, more of an element um, that I'm like still working through myself. Yeah. And I think that's the moral of the story, right? We're always working on it <laughs> because right. it's a, it's a lifetime thing. And um, with any chronic health issue, it's not something that just goes away overnight and um, you constantly need to work on it. And that what you use to work on it is going to change over your life. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else um, that we could talk about. I feel like we have talked about, you know, kind of the broad range of topics that chronic health entails. Yeah. Do you have any last thoughts or? I don't have anything really on my mind that we talked about some things that I love to talk about, very passionate about. And um, I just hope that, you know, the women that get to listen to this and the women that you work with um, just get to get to a point where they don't feel like they have to wake up every day and force themselves to hate their body or force themselves to love their body. Mm -hmm. Their body, you know, is a vessel they've been given and um, serves its purpose and its time. And, um, you know, it, it's not their enemy. They can, you know, work with it and listen to it and, um, and not feel like they just have to be at war all the time with their symptoms. Um, and I, I, I really hope that, you know, women can come to that in their heads and it gives them a lot of peace as they, as they learn, you know, their fertility and as they get pregnant and move on with their lives. Yeah. Well, I feel like um, we could talk forever about all of these things, <laughs> but uh, um, I just wanted to say thank you for joining me and talking about all of this. And I hope that it's, like you said, really helpful for people to hear that not everybody has it together and you don't have to have it together. Um, you know, yeah. chronic health is a lifetime thing. You don't even have to have it together to have a voice, yeah. you know? not everyone is going to be an expert and um, they can speak about that and they don't have to like hold themselves back just because they're not um, at their peak performance on something else. You know, mm -hmm. um, you and I are imperfect, but we have a little nugget that might be perfect for someone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love if you would leave a review on iTunes. And if you're interested in connecting with me, you can find me at cedarcreekholistic.com or on Instagram at Holistic Fertility Perspective. I'll see you next time on The Holistic Perspective. Mm -hmm.